week we left in, our, in the story looking at King David. And what we saw is that he was a man of great integrity. That he loved the Lord passionately. That he was a great leader. He saw himself as a shepherd of the people. He saw the Lord, as we see in Psalm 23, as a shepherd over the nation. As a shepherd over all who would call him Lord and Savior. But we saw that he was a shepherd over the nation of Israel. But we also see the way that the Lord saw David. He described David in these amazing words, words that are extraordinary, words that I would long to hear God say about me, and maybe you long to hear him say about you. The Lord said of David, he is a man after my own heart. Boy, is that a beautiful description? He is a man after my own heart. And yet what we're going to see this morning is that David was like you and me. David was a broken sinner, stained by the original sin, which was, which was transferred to him as it transferred to all of us in the womb, as we read in the Psalms. And what we see today, we're going to learn from David how it is that we handle failure in our lives and how it is that sin comes upon us in such a way that we compromise God's very best for our lives. God's very best for the impact that we can make in this world. We compromise that plan. And we're going to see how David handled his own failure. And we're going to learn from that. Now this morning if you're visiting, once a month, the first Sunday of each month, we do something called a family worship service. And so this morning we have our King's Kids with us, which are children um, post-nursery through the sixth grade, and we just love having you with us. We love that you're worshiping with us every month. And, but I want to bring a special challenge to you today as one of your pastors. As I preach today, as we read the Bible today together, I want you to think of one thing that God is saying to you today. One thing that you believe that God wants you to hear today. And I want you to either write it down or maybe just draw a picture to describe what that one thing is today. Because friends, if you leave today with one thing that will change your life, you will make a bigger, greater impact for the kingdom of God in this world. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And I would love to hear from you after the service. I would love for you to come up and show me what it is that you drew or what you wrote. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the failure of David. And we're going to see in his story our own story. And we want to learn from David not only how it is that we get ourselves into situations where we compromise God's best, but we also want to see how it is that we are to respond to our sin, respond to the mistakes and the rebellion that we engage in with regard to our relationship with God. And here's the first thing that I want you to see, and that is... Uh-oh, uh-oh, oh, wait a minute, yes, I'm back in control, 
It's all about control. What I want you to see, first of all, as we look at what happened to David, I want you to recognize that in you, in me, and in all of us, that we are vulnerable, we are susceptible to compromise God's very best for us. That we are often, because of the decisions that we make, we are vulnerable, we are susceptible to having things happen in such a way that we would, would stir our sinful desires and we would make decisions to rebel against God. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I am going to read from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to look this morning at the story of David and Bathsheba. And if you're not familiar with the story, you will be in a moment. I want to read beginning in verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with his king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. And then, as you read on, you see that she sends a message a little bit later to David to let him know that she is pregnant with his child. David compromises the plan of God. He disobeys God. He rebels against God. And what we're going to see is it creates implications and problems for him and for the nation. Friends, when we rebel against God, it's just not us who are impacted. But the plan that God has to impact the world through us, that plan is impacted. It has ramifications. It has fingers that impact many many beyond us and we see that in the story of David this morning I remember a number of years ago I was a pastor in a church in Scottsdale Arizona and I remember that there was a very famous pastor here in Southern California that had had a moral failure he had done what David did and it became very public and in a very large church that wasn't far from my church in Scottsdale, the pastor stood before God's people and he said this. He said, I want to assure you that that will never happen to your pastor. Whoa. Pride goes before a fall. Friends, something I know about me is that I'm capable of anything. Given the right circumstances, given a failure to pay attention to my spiritual life, I am capable of anything and so are you. If we believe that we are not capable of sin, if we believe that of certain kinds of sin, if we believe that we are not vulnerable to certain kinds of sin, we are opening our hearts and our lives to that very area of brokenness. 
What we need to do is to continue to pay attention to our spiritual life. To pay attention to our walk with God. To pay attention to gathering with God's people as you are this morning. To praying every day throughout the day. To reading God's word throughout the day of every day. Opening our hearts to God and inviting him to speak to us, to transform us, to give us the desires of our heart. Because the reality is, all of us are capable of any kind of brokenness and rebellion. And we see that with David. And we see that warning in Scripture. In James chapter 1, we read these words. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's not God who tempts us. And he goes on to explain that process of temptation. He says, but each one is tempted when by their own evil desire, their own evil longings, their own evil desires, what happens? They are dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, after it's given birth and, and come to life in my own heart, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Friends, if we are not paying attention to our spiritual life, what happens is we are susceptible to walking away from God, to rebelling against God in any area of life. In fact, often I hear people say, I'm, I can't believe I got into this situation. I can't believe I am where I am today. Have you ever said that? I can't believe where I am today. Um, some of you know last summer I had covid and it ended up being a great gift to me because I wasn't paying attention to myself physically. I wasn't paying attention to myself emotionally. I wasn't paying to, uh, attention to myself as I should have been spiritually. And I didn't realize it until life slowed down. And I began to look at my life and I realized, wow, how did I get here? How did, how did I get so out of shape? How was I not paying attention to what was happening to me emotionally? How did I get here? And it happens to all of us. And it happened to David. It happened to David. You see, what we see here is that sin begins when we're tempted by our own evil desires. And sometimes we don't even know that those evil desires are growing within us. They've been conceived, and now they're growing like a child in its mother's womb, and we don't even know it until it gives birth to sin. And when it gives birth to sin, it gives birth to death and destruction, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. And it's serious business. So what happened to David? Well, right beginning in chapter 11, we see that something is wrong in the heart and the life of King David. I already read it to you, but let me read it again in verse 1. I want you to hear this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. 
David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was the king of the nation. His job was to be leading the army into battle. His job was to be with the, with the army and leading them. He was, that's where he was supposed to be. But he wasn't there. He was in the palace in Jerusalem. Why? We don't know. Boredom? The evil desires already growing within him? Maybe he already knew and had seen Bathsheba? We don't really know. But we do know this. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Friends, we often, when we begin to engage in a sinful act or a sinful lifestyle, it often begins because we're not where we're supposed to be. We are reading things we shouldn't be reading. We're watching things we shouldn't be watching. We're, we're driving a different route to work because we want to go buy, we want to go buy that liquor store because we want to feed that addiction in our hearts and lives and our in our desires. And before we know it, we're not paying attention. We're feeding the evil desire that has been already conceived in us and is growing and growing within us. David was not where he was supposed to be. Friends, I want to ask you, as you look at your life this morning, are you where you're supposed to be? Are you living the way that God wants you to live? You have a picture here of a tree. This is the manchineel tree. And it's found in some parts of southern Florida, uh, on the beaches of some of the Caribbean islands and Central America and South America. It is a very dangerous tree. You look at that, it's beautiful. You see that little fruit there, it's very tasty. It's delicious. It looks like a little green apple. But the reality is, this is a very dangerous tree. You eat that apple, it can kill you. You touch the tree and put your hands to your mouth or put your hands to your eyes or put your hands to your nose, it can kill you. You stand underneath the tree for a, for a while and just what is coming off the tree can make you very, very sick and it can take your life. In, they call it, in Spanish-speaking countries, La Mancilla de la Muerta. I'm just showing off because I was in Mexico a week and a half ago. Oh, yeah. But La Mancilla de la Muerta translates to the little apple of death or the tree of death. It's said that in the 1500s, when Ponce de Leon, remember the, the great uh, uh, explorer that found uh, Florida? On his second journey, he died there in Florida. It's said that he died because of this tree. That the people who were native to that area in Florida had used spears and had dipped it in the juice from that very piece of fruit. And when the spear hit him, that poison just spread through his body. Here's my point. Sometimes things in our life that look very beautiful and look very enticing are the most dangerous things 
that we can be around. It's that relationship that you know you really shouldn't be in. And yet you find yourself and you plan it so that you're with that person and you're just feeding that evil desire. It's that opportunity that you've taken and, and you just, you know deep down, if you paid attention, you know deep down that this isn't right, but you just keep going down that path. You just keep walking that road. It's the fruit of death. Friends, you are vulnerable to anything. You are capable of anything. That's what it means to have a sinful nature. And we need to pay attention to that in our own lives. We need to see that. And here's the question. Are you allowing your desires to lead you down the wrong path? A prayer that I often pray is this. God, give me the desires of my heart. Lord, give me the desires that you want me to have in this world. Because I know that I'm capable of anything. God, give me the desires of my heart that reflect the heart of God. Here's a second thing that I want you to see as we look at King David this morning. And that is, when we try to cover up our sin, we are choosing to go deeper into rebellion. So David knows that he's got a problem. He's been with another man's wife, she's pregnant, and now he's got a problem. What is he going to do? Well, what he does is he tries to cover up. He does what we often do in our own lives. We've made a mistake, now let's cover it up so that nobody knows. As if God is not aware of what is happening and has happened and transpired in our lives. God is not only aware of what you do in secret, he is aware of the heart that led to that moment. But we read in verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah the Hittite. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw him so he will be struck down and die. David's got a problem. And David's solution is to cover it up. David's solution is to try to push it off so that he can get out of the trouble so that nobody is going to know. So that nobody is going to know what happened. And so what he does is he calls Uriah back from, from the field and he says to Uriah, go home, be with your family. Then what David is thinking, when Bathsheba, um, as the baby grows in Bathsheba, he'll think it's his, but no. Uriah has too much integrity. Uriah says, no, I'm not going to go be with my family when my brothers are out in the field fighting for their lives. That would be wrong. That doesn't have integrity. So David's frustrated because Uriah's not doing what he needs him to do as part of his plan. So what he does is he gets Uriah drunk. He thinks now he'll go home, but Uriah still has too much integrity. He says, no, I'm not going home. So finally, David's solution is to murder Uriah. He sends Uriah back to the front lines with a note, which is Uriah's own death sentence. And he brings that note to 
the, uh, to his commanding officer, and the note from, the king, from king David, the king of the nation, says, put Uriah on the front lines and then quickly withdraw so that Uriah is left alone and Uriah's life is taken. Friends, I think it's very frightening how quickly we move when we're in trouble and we're afraid of being found out, how quickly we move to try to cover up our sin. We try and cover it up. Watergate, I mean, you can go back through history and see that one scandal after another, the scandal is bad, but what becomes even worse is the cover-up. I think there's a great lesson in that. We need to be very careful in our lives and not try and cover up. Many of you are now in small groups, and it's our hope and our prayer that you will learn to really trust the people in your small group where you can be honest and real and genuine and authentic. And if you're not in a group like that, you need to find somebody that you could be real with, that you could be genuine with, that you could be authentic with. I have people in my life that ask me the hard questions that I need to be asked in my life. And the last question is always this, have you been untruthful about anything, any answers that you have given? Because friends, I know my capacity. I know my sinful nature. I know what I'm capable of. And I know I'm capable. My first instinct, and so is yours, when, when we're in trouble, we've done something wrong, is to try and cover it up so that nobody knows what we have done and we can get away with it. For you who are young, learn from those of us who are older. That only leads to deeper rebellion and brokenness in your life. That is not the path to freedom. That is not the path to life. It is the path to brokenness. God does not want that for you. And if you understood all the implications, you would see that you don't want that for you. And so here's the question. Is it your tendency to try and cover your tracks right now? Is there an area of your life where you're trying to cover your tracks? You're trying to cover up so nobody sees what you have done. Anything that's in darkness is dark. It needs the light. It needs the light. And you need to be real and genuine and authentic. Take responsibility. And move forward. David doesn't. And it leads to greater rebellion. It leads to greater sin in his life. The taking of the life of an innocent man. We read on. And here's the third thing I want you to see. And this is similar, but it's, it's distinct. It's different. And that is our tendency to justify and to defend our sin. In chapter 12, God sends Nathan the prophet to confront David. David thinks he's gotten away with something. David thinks he's all clear now. Everything's good. What he doesn't realize, it doesn't, for whatever reason, 
He doesn't realize God knows all that has transpired and God has given Nathan the wisdom and understanding of what it is that David has done. And because God loves the nation and because God loves David, he's going to confront David through Nathan. Listen to what happens as we read in verses 5 to 7. Nathan tells David the story of a very wealthy man who goes to a very poor man and steals his lamb. I mean, this, this man, this poor man has very little in his life. This rich man has a large flock, but he goes and he steals this only lamb that the poor man has. And as he tells the story, verse 5, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan the prophet, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Oh, can you imagine? You are the man. What is he saying to David? Uriah the Hittite was the poor man. You are the rich man in the story. And you have gone and you have taken from Uriah his wife and his life. You are that man, David. And we're going to see how, in a moment how David responds. But friends, sin is so insidious. Rebellion is so serious that we can even deny that we are doing anything wrong. We can justify the terrible things that we do in this world. We can excuse it. We can make excuses for it. We can defend why it was okay for us to do what we did or why it was okay for us not to do what we should have done. When Beth and I were raising our children, the, one of the most important things to us was that our children would never live in denial, that our children would never be allowed to justify and defend and to excuse that which was not right. Because then they are not only lying to others and lying to God, they're lying to themselves. And in a crowd like this, and, and added to all the people who are watching online right now, there are those of you today who are living in denial in one or more areas of your life. Where there is brokenness and there is a lifestyle. And there is something that you are doing or have done that has created pain because of its sinful nature. Friends, we can't lie to ourselves. For God knows all truth. We need to be real. We need to be genuine. We need to take responsibility. Now, that's not fun, is it? But one of the things I love about David... He could have had Nathan killed in that moment. He's the king. He could have silenced Nathan in that moment that nobody else will know. But what does David do? He takes responsibility. David no longer is living in a way in which he's excusing or in a way in which he's hiding. He now steps out of the darkness and he takes responsibility for what it is 
that he has done. Friends, here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Is there an area of sin in your life that currently you are justifying and defending? You're excusing it. Well, everybody else does it. Everybody else cheats on their, on their exam. Everybody else lies. Everybody else is dishonest. Everybody else cheats on their taxes. Everybody else does it. Or we make the excuse, you know what? I, want, I have a right to be happy in this world. I'm not happy in my marriage. I want to be happy. And we excuse and we justify and we defend. Here is a fourth thing I want you to see, and this is beautiful. Freedom, freedom, freedom begins with humble confession. In verse 13 of chapter 12, here's what David says. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Do you see how David is taking full responsibility for what he's done? I have sinned against the Lord. Now, some of you might be surprised by that. It means, well, wait a minute, David. You sinned against Bathsheba by using your power of, your, of position. You sinned against um, Uriah by, by um, having him killed. You sinned against the nation by not being where you were supposed to be to lead the nation in battle. But David understands ultimately what matters is that he has sinned against God. I think sometimes we miss that. We say something we shouldn't say and we go back and we apologize to the person, but we never deal with God on it. Lord, I've sinned against you. And first and foremost, God, I want to confess that sin to you. Oh God, make me clean again. Make me clean again. Listen to what we read in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, read those this week. Psalm 32, Psalm 51 are David's response to what he's done in the story that we're looking at this morning. Some of the most beautiful things I've ever read when it comes to coming clean before God. Listen to what he says. For I know my transgressions, my sins, and my sin is always before me. I'm aware of it. I'm not excusing it. I'm not defending it. I'm not justifying it. Against you, you only have I sinned, speaking to the Lord, and done what is evil in your sight, so that when you are proved, and so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge. God, you are right to judge me for what I have done. David coming to God and saying, I've not lived as I should, I've not done as I should have done. Oh God, do what you must in my life. What if, what if the next time you did said something or did something that wasn't right, and you know you've got to go and take responsibility, make it right with the other person, what if, what if you went before God and said, Lord, here's what I've done. Now God already knows, but we're making ourselves right with him. We're letting him know it becomes our sacrifice to him. Here's the fifth thing I want you, here's the question. What area of your life do you need to confess sin? Right after the sermon this morning, I'm going to take a few moments and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord 
as we pray through Psalm 51. And we're going to ask the Lord as we use that as an example. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve it. David didn't deserve to be forgiven by God. I don't deserve to be forgiven by God. I'm not entitled to the grace of God. I'm not entitled to the forgiveness of God. It is a gift that God gives to me that I did not earn and I did not and I do not deserve. And the same is true for you. We talked, Chris mentioned um, gifts and Pastor Law mentioned the anticipation of receiving gifts. The greatest gift you will ever receive is the gift of forgiveness by the death of Jesus Christ in your place. He received the wrath of God that you and I and David deserve for our sin. He received it unto himself so that you, you might know forgiveness. So after all that David has done, what is, David says this, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. He has forgiven you. You will not die. God has forgiven you by faith in Jesus, knowing and believing that it's, he took your place on the cross for that rebellious heart that we all live with. That we all received at the moment we were conceived the sin of Adam was attached to us. But the moment we believed, the righteousness of Jesus was attached to us so that we are forgiven of all things. I'm not forgiven of just the simple mistakes I've made. I'm not forgiven just most of the things that I've done. I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus for everything. And so that God says to me, the Lord has taken away your sin. And he says that to you by faith in Jesus Christ, his son, whose birth we celebrate in just a few weeks. So the question that I have for you is this. Have you asked God to forgive your sin for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? One of the great things that we read in Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 32, not Psalm 51, but Psalm 32, David writes, create in me a new heart, O Lord. Renew my spirit. What is he praying for? It's something that I've learned to do. I confess my sin and then I say to the Lord, create in me a new heart. So the next time I'm in those circumstances, I respond differently. The next time I'm in that situation, I will react differently. Because what I do comes out of my heart. And I need God to renew my heart. To make my heart new again. To be a heart after the heart of God. So I don't just confess my sin, I ask God to create in me a new heart so that those evil desires will not be part of my life again. The final thing I want you to see this morning is that we are forgiven in Christ, but choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. Listen to what we read. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against 
the Lord. The Lord is, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But by doing this, you have made enemies of the Lord. Uh, I'm sorry, but because by doing this, you have made enemies of the Lord, show utter, utter contempt, the son born to you will die. Tragic. And the son dies. The son of David and Bathsheba dies. What we see as we read on in the story of the life of David is that from this point on, the household of David is a disaster. It shows like a Netflix movie. Shows like a Netflix series of murder, of unfaithfulness, of disloyalty, of brokenness within the family of David. Friends, we need to understand we are forgiven, but the consequences of what we have done may continue to reverberate in the lives of others and in life. Being forgiven for committing murder, being forgiven by God doesn't mean that I'm off the hook, right? If I steal something, except if you're in Los Angeles apparently, if I steal something, I... I could just, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if I steal something, there are consequences to what I've done. I pay the price for what I've done. God forgives me, but I pay the price. There are consequences. But friends, I want to close with this before I tell you a story. I want to close with this. Here's the heart of God. You ready for this? You ready to be amazed? David had many wives, but from the union, after that son died, the union, as David took Bathsheba to be his wife, another one of his wives, would come the line of the Messiah that has come to us at Christmas. Jesus would come from the line of David and Bathsheba. What does that say to us? It says to us that God is the God who restores. God is the God who renews. God is the God who gives life. God is the God who stands greater than our sin and greater than our brokenness. God is the God who takes the mess we make in our lives and he builds something beautiful. God is the God who takes ashes and creates something that's extraordinary. Only God can do that. And I have seen God take mistakes in my life and do something beautiful. But we have to take responsibility before God and before one another. I want to close with this. Have you ever heard of a sinkhole? Have you ever seen a sinkhole? Maybe some of you have. Here's a, well, let me just say this real quick. Psalm 32, 3 to 5, just read that. One of the consequences of sin is that when we're quiet, the Spirit of God's on us, and we cannot have peace because he wants us to repent so that we can have peace. But I want you to see this picture. This is a sinkhole. And the thing about a sinkhole, what everybody always says is, 
I never saw it coming. It came out of nowhere. Here's an actual sinkhole on a street where a car was sitting there and now there was a hole beneath and the whole ground broke, the street cracked and the car went into the sinkhole. Here's the truth of a sinkhole. It didn't just happen. It had been growing, it had been expanding for many, many years. It didn't just suddenly show up, it kept growing over time until eventually it was too much for, for the ground to hold and the ground sank. When sin happens in our lives, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's a sinkhole. It's been growing over time. You just didn't see it. I just didn't notice it because I wasn't paying spiritual attention. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the example of David. Thank you for the things you teach us through your word. Lord, I know I see so much of myself in this story. The tendency to make excuses. The tendency to not pay attention. Not making good choices. Being driven by evil desires. Lord, thank you that you sent your son to die that we might have life, that we might have freedom, that we might have joy, that we might make an eternal impact and bring light to darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.